This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. I'm crazy grateful for all of you who subscribe, share, and leave reviews. If this is your first time, welcome to the Elevate community. Like our home church, Living Word, I and the Elevate leaders work as hard as we can to build an atmosphere of love to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. It would mean the world to us if you helped us get the word out by sharing this episode on social media. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate, visit us at iloveelevate.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to the podcast. Thank you for everything you do, which brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. We are week four in our Do Hard Things series. The book looks like this. You can buy it for 10 bucks at the snack shop. Again, I, I spent more money than I'm selling them for because I want you to have this on your bookshelf if you're willing to read it. It was written by two teenagers, teenagers that did incredible things, and only half of the book is actually based on these five subjects. The last half is actually just testimonies of teenagers your age doing incredible things. Teenagers that caught wind of a vision that they could be more, that they could do more with their teenage years than what they had accepted before, and went out and built wells and started bands and founded companies and nonprofits. And those are testimonies that you can read about that I hope inspire you. Three weeks ago, we started with the ring finger. What did the ring finger represent? That's right. Get out of your comfort zone. Thank you, Elijah. Because if you don't marry yourself to the idea of getting out of your comfort zone, then none of the other principles will get traction in your lives. You must commit to getting out of your comfort zone. Followed by the middle finger. What did that represent? Yes, go beyond. It's the longest on your hand. You're going beyond what is required, what is expected, what is asked of you. Then last week was the thumb. It wraps up all the other fingers. What did that represent? Yes. Collaboration. Thank you. Thank you. Collaboration, working together with other people. And tonight, we're going to look at the pinky finger. But I want to open with a story. You guys have heard of The Jungle Book. Has anyone actually seen the movie, read the book, The Jungle Book? Rudyard Kipling. What a strange name. He was actually raised in India. So when he's writing about a boy in the jungles of India and what the villages he encounters are like, he is writing from his personal experience. He grew up in India. But Rudyard Kipling also wrote another classic novel called Captain's Courageous. And it's about a 15-year-old boy who was raised by a, a railroad tycoon. And so he was raised with incredible amounts of money. His mom always doted on him. He was spoiled. He was selfish. He had everything handed to him. Except on a, a trip across the Atlantic, he was washed overboard and rescued by fishermen. So here he is, the cream of society, and he is now living with the smelly, bottom-rung people of society. And if you know anything about living a, a life of being a fisherman, it is not glorious. You spend all your time stinky and wet and covered in fish guts. It is not a, a lifestyle that people like get all excited about unless you're just called to that world. And I know some of those kind of people. They're amazing people and good friends of mine in Destin. But he was stuck on this boat, and so he tried to convince these fishermen, like, no, 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 you don't understand. My family's wealthy, and, and if you'll just bring me to shore, if you'll sail me back to where I came from. But because this was the fishing season, they couldn't take the risk that he was lying, and so they continued their fishing season, and they made him earn his keep by gutting fish and mending nets. And here is 15-year-old wealthy Harvey, and he's sitting on a boat day in, day out, 
gutting fish and mending nets. And it was a, a brutal atmosphere. He was cold and wet all the time. He always stunk. His fingers would blister from the work every day. And it overwhelmed him. But after a while, his body hardened. He became more adjusted to the temperatures. He got better at the things he was doing. He took on more work and different projects. And soon, he actually found himself enjoying this life on the open ocean with these roughneck kind of characters. So that by the time he got to shore and he wired his parents to come and get him in this little fishing village, they didn't meet the little boy that they had known. They now encountered Harvey, who had shed his skin of who he used to be, who is now someone who is dignified, who is compassionate towards people, who is a hard worker. They found someone completely different, someone industrious and responsible. God has a similar plan for me and you. And it's a plan where he may put us in situations where there is endless tedium. There's going to be these small, inconvenient, not fun tasks that we just have to do day in, day out, week in and week out. And we're going to say to ourselves that there is no point to this. What could God be doing in my life in the monotony of tedium? But God has a plan for us of what he's doing in us. Faithfulness in the small hard things is a mark of a Jesus follower. And God uses small hard things, daily routine challenges, to sanctify us, to stretch us, to chisel us, and even to reward us. Proverbs 21.5 simply says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. Diligence is defined as by Webster's, as steady, earnest, and devoted effort. Painstaking work to accomplish an undertaking. Diligence, the plans of the diligent. Those who are faithful in routine. Faithful in the little things, the daily tasks. I love what Henry Ford said. He's the guy who founded the Ford Motor Company. He said, quality means doing it right when no one is looking. That's integrity. Proverbs 6, 6 6-8 gives us a visual. It says, look at the ant. Consider, look at the ant. Go to him, you sluggard, you lazy person. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. Has anyone watched like a documentary on ants? They're fascinating. Every ant has its own little purpose. They have ants that that move garbage out of the anthill. They have ants that protect the queen. They have ants that are seekers and gatherers and workers and builders. They have ants that are medics that help other ants. They have ants that are nurses and nursemaids to baby ants. It's amazing all the different roles that they fill. And there's no, like, ant that's standing over them with his hands on his hips, like, commanding things. They're just doing their job. They have one task. They do it day in and day out, and they do it well. I think this is the key, that the ant is part of something bigger than itself. It's not living its own ant life. It's actually more concerned with the whole than it is just itself. It's living for the good of its kingdom. And I think that is one of the reasons that God calls us to look at the ant is because When we surrender our lives to Jesus, we stop living just for me. It's not, my life isn't just about padding my life with a whole bunch of good stuff. 
My life becomes about the kingdom of heaven. My life actually becomes more about you than it does about me. Just like your life will become more about others than it does yourself. Look at the ant. Look at their diligence. Look at its purpose. Listen to how Paul writes, Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. We're going to read verses 1 through 4. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. As in, God has called you. Let your life be worthy of that calling. God picked you. May how you serve in little things, may how you operate at work and at home and at school, may those things reflect the incredible calling that God has on your life, the purpose he has on your life, the fact that he calls you son and daughter. May your life reflect that calling. And may it reflect it with, verse 2, all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity, the bigger than just us, the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit. It doesn't say there are a whole bunch of individuals. It says we are one body, one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. Paul is urging us to have the character of diligence in every aspect of our life because it reflects the whole body. The way we act reflects on the church of God, and the church of God is a reflection of Jesus himself. So it is incredibly important that when people see you, they see someone of integrity, of diligence, of humility, of love, because it's reflecting the kingdom of God, which is reflecting Christ. So may we be worthy of the calling that God has given us. And let me give you, here's just a reality check. In case you haven't figured it out yet, as a student in Oklahoma used to say all the time, life is lifey. Life is full of time-eating, small, laborious tasks, busy work. It's not always new and exciting. It's repetitive. It's tedious. It's dull, and that's just normal life. Most of what we do throughout our day doesn't make our heads pop off the pillow in the morning. Oof, yes, I can't wait. Go and do dishes. I can't wait to go and do my science homework. I can't wait to, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Oh my gosh, I had a job at Academy Footwear or Academy in the footwear department in Oklahoma, and my job was to organize boxes. You know, you walk back there and you see that there's Nikes and there's Adidas, and then there, sometimes the sizes are in order. Let me tell you, Nike boxes are a pain in the neck. There's like eight numbers, and that number specifies a very specific shoe and a color in that shoe. So you can have four of the same shoe. you got to get all those numbers right. You have to organize them. It's called zoning, which is tedious. Day in, day out, hour by hour, sorting boxes. That's tedium. That's hard to wake up excited about. Are we looking at the ant? Are we living a life even in that kind of situation that glorifies Christ? So here's the hard thing for tonight. It's the pinky. And it represents staying diligent in the small things. It's probably the smallest finger in your hand, unless you got stung by a bee. Diligence in small things. I need Landon to come up. He's volunteered for this. Come on up, Landon. Oh, you're coming from that side? Awesome. Awesome. All right, Landon. We're going to shake hands. I want to do this. 
Now, look, I'm, well, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to hold your pinky, and I'm going to ask Landon to squeeze my hand as hard as he can. Now, Landon could probably crush my hand. He's, he's a sizable kind of guy. And now, here we go. You ready? I'm going to hold your pinky back. Now, am I inflicting pain on you at all? Am I, am I bending it backwards to try to put you into any sort of submission? All I'm doing is just removing the pinky from the equation, all right? Go ahead. Squeeze my hand. Hard. Start. Right, right. Okay, so, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remove my Okay, cool. Thank you for not breaking my hand. So, Landon, what is your reflection on the pinky after our, our moment together? It's, like, easier to get your hand around yours so you can, like, put more force on it. Yeah, it kind of gives force to the rest of the hand, right? So, the pinky is incredibly important, right, in your grip. I'm not going to do that without your pinky because I like my hand. But thank you, Landon. Give him a hand. Do you feel like you're able to give your very best effort, Landon, without your pinky? No, right? The power that you're going to have in the big things in your life, pay attention to this. It's going to come from your consistency in the small things. If you leave over the past three weeks all fired up, I'm going to go and do great things, but you're going to let the pinky go and say, no, in the small things that aren't that important, I'm just going to let those go. You're going to compromise the power that you're going to have in those big tasks. Whether it's chores at home, getting up on time, saying no to distractions. Boy, we have a million of those. Most of them look like a cell phone. Whether it's schoolwork or working out, having your daily God time, practicing an instrument, learning a language, driving the speed limit, maintaining your sexual purity, giving quality when no one else is looking. These are all small small things that define big character. As small and unimportant as they seem, they're areas where we walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling of God in our life. Why are these small responsibilities so hard? Here's a few of them that come to mind. They usually don't go away once you've done them. You can fold laundry, but tomorrow there's more laundry. And you can fold laundry and fold laundry and God forbid, my poor wife, our washer works as hard as she does, and she works. All she does is fold laundry and wash clothes. No matter how much you do it, it keeps coming back. There's so many of these small, tedious things, and no matter how much you do them, they just keep coming around again. You just keep getting assigned to more projects and more homework. Your boss keeps giving you the next thing. It just never seems to go away. Another reason that they're hard is because many of these small things don't seem important. Really, What does calculus homework have for me as an adult? You may ask yourself that question. Everyone has asked themselves that question about some class, right? They have a hard time with that. How about another reason that they're hard? They don't seem to have any payoff. Making your bed in the morning has no payoff, right? And and actually, in fact, if you Google it, they have like people that are like motivational speakers on making your bed in the morning. That's crazy. It links to this, to that, to that, all because of this whole idea of faithfulness in the small things. Another reason that it's hard to be responsible in small things is that you don't really receive any credit or recognition. There's no glamour. No one's watching. Nobody's like, you know, the news station doesn't show up at your house with a camera, and they're like, local boy receives national recognition for zoning at work. Like, no one, no one cares, you know? No one's kicking in the door. He's moving the dishes from the sink to the... Get this in. Get the camera, Charlie. No one cares, right? No one's interested in that. No one gives you props for holding your temper 
or picking up trash or guarding your speech. But look at the ant. That consistency. Small responsibilities. You notice, read those things quickly. They don't go away once you've done them. They don't seem important. They don't have payoff, and they don't receive credit. Did you notice that all four of these things are reflections of selfishness? They're really just all about whether it benefits you personally or not. Small responsibilities are always going to be harder when your only focus is how it's going to benefit yourself. But when we look at the ant, we see a different model. We see someone who is faithful to a bigger picture. And Jesus is looking for godly Jesus followers that are going to be faithful to something bigger than themselves. I'm telling you, if you're going to be a Christian and you just want to feel good all the time, you're going to be a terrible Christian. You're going to be a casual Christian. You're not going to stand up for your faith. You're not going to want to run away from sin and pursue righteousness. You're not going to want to reject peer pressure. You're not going to want to pour yourself into the word of God on a regular basis. No, all those things are uncomfortable. But if you're living for something grander than yourself, if you're more concerned about somebody else than yourself, it's going to change how you look at life and how you look at the little things. Some of the reasons that we fail at some of those things are, one, we'll have a bad attitude. Whenever we're confronted with those things that we're so annoyed to do over and over and over and over again, and my mom is asking me to do this again, and I, and I hate when my boss asks me, gives me the paint chipper, and I got to go scrape paint. How is this helping me at all? We'll take on this bad attitude, but I'm telling you that your effort will always reflect your attitude. People will always be able to look at what you did and know what your attitude was in it. Because a good attitude will give a greater effort than a bad attitude. It's 100% always true. Another reason that we fail in the small things is that we'll procrastinate. This is how I define procrastination. Putting something off until it's too late for excellence. If you're only able to give 90% because you didn't have enough time, you procrastinated. And you know what? 90% might be good enough, but guys, we've never settled for good enough. Jesus is calling for greater. Another reason we fail is that we will cut corners often. Proverbs 21.5, I read the first half. I'd like to read the second half of the verse to you now. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Every time we take those small things and say, you know what, I could get this done so much faster if I just cut some corners. If I just do kind of a half effort, I can get this over with. I can skim through my homework. I can skim through whatever it is. Whoa, did it get dark? Wow. Hey, nice. We have diligent people in the production. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Another reason that we fail at small things is that we just get selfish. Isn't that the root of one, two, and three? Bad attitudes, procrastination, and cutting corners? That's just selfish. I can't see how this would benefit me. Therefore, we drop the ball in these in the small things. I love the story of Joseph. It starts in Genesis 37. Read through his life sometime. It's inspiring. His life, like, every time it drops low, you're like, man, you can't get any lower than this. And then it drops lower, you know? Poor Joseph, he gets chunked into a well by his brothers. And at the bottom of the well, there's no water. He's, like, hating life. And they're like, hey, what if we made him a slave? So they sell him off to slavery. And you're like, man, you can't get any lower than a slave. And then boom, he gets dropped into a dungeon, and now he's a prisoner. Every time he thinks that things can't get worse, they do. But if you look at the life of Joseph, everywhere that he is, he excels. Yes, he was a slave. But whenever his boss, his master, saw how hard he worked, 
his boss started elevating his responsibilities until he was the number two in the whole house. He made all the decisions. But then he gets thrown into prison until the prison guard realizes that this guy's a hard worker. So they give him responsibility in prison until he's running the prison. Everywhere he went, his diligence was seen. But did you ever catch it before that Joseph was more concerned about his master's house than he was his own life? He was more concerned with the prison and how well it ran than, his, than himself. Joseph was always diligent, and he was always working for someone greater or something greater than himself. So that whenever God needed a savior for his people, God pulls this guy who's been consistently diligent, consistently concerned about somebody else, and he puts him in charge of a nation that doesn't even belong to Joseph. How could he trust Joseph with a foreign nation? Because Joseph was faithful in a foreign house. He was faithful in a foreign dungeon. He was diligent, and he was always concerned about a bigger picture than himself. What an incredible guy. Joseph was not, pay attention, he was not someone who made several big decisions or performed several big hard tasks. He was a man whose life was thousands of small decisions for diligence in small tasks. Here's some keys that reflect Joseph's life. Galatians 6, 9, let us not grow weary. Let's not get tired of doing good, of being faithful, of being diligent. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. Doing something hard will always begin with a choice. Every one of these is a choice. Number one, choose self-control. You're going to have to, because whenever you're sitting there, you're doing, you're peeling potatoes for the 400th time. I don't know if anybody actually in here peels potatoes. It's laborious. It takes forever. When you're on your 40th potato, you start cutting corners. So it takes self-control to stay consistent. Apply it to your own life. No one in here is peeling potatoes. Jamie Dishman, do you have your kids peel potatoes? Yes? All right. Yeah, connected with somebody. Awesome. Choose self-control. Number two, and you're going to have, it's a choice. Choose a positive attitude. Make it, fake it till you make it. I'm going to have a positive attitude about potatoes. Potatoes are awesome. Yeah. Where's my peeler? I can peel potatoes like a ninja. Find a positive way to have an attitude, a positive attitude, so that you can have a way of doing things. Spoonful of sugar, Mary Poppins, anybody? Come on. Yes. Choose a positive attitude. And you know what? The small things are going to get easier. You're going to become more faithful in them. You'll do them better. The third one is choose excellence. We talked about what excellence is. It's going beyond where you were before. It's breaking the ceiling of what you thought was your best. Go beyond. And the fourth is choose a kingdom perspective versus a self-centered point of view, where we choose to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling that God has given us. And you know what? There's benefits to being diligent in the small things. I just want to start by saying, just like with Landon's rock-hard squeeze, if you're not faithful here, you will not have power in the rest of these things. The first one, the first benefit, is that it builds discipline. I remember as a kid, I took some sort of martial arts or something like that, and it came back to me, like came flooding back as I was sitting at my computer. And I remembered that to do the perfect kick, you had to stand in a certain way. Your toes had to point in a certain direction. Your knee had to be at a certain height. Everything that was very specific to give the correct kick. 
But I can tell you that if you're watching an MMA fight, the people in there are not thinking to themselves, wait, wait, are my toes facing 3 o'clock? Which way is 3 o'clock? They're not thinking that. They've done 4,000 kicks today. They've perfected it so they don't even have to think. They just know kick and they go. The same thing is true. Has anyone in here ever taken on an instrument like guitar, piano, drums? Anybody in here? Musicians? You don't, you don't think to yourself, whoa, whoa, whoa where's, that, where's that chord? Finger here, then that fret. No, you just think to yourself, D, boom, and you hit a D. G, boom, you hit a G. Why? It's because you have created this chord shape 600,000 times over and over again so that there's muscle memory. If you are willing to be diligent in the small things over time with repetition, then you're going to build the discipline that you need to be diligent in the big things. The Bible says that if you're faithful with little, God will give you much. That's what happened with Joseph. Joseph, are you faithful as a slave? Yes. Joseph, are you faithful in the dungeon? Yes. I know you'll be faithful with my people. I know you'll be faithful in a foreign land, and I will save your family. Diligence will be a choice the first 100,000 times, maybe, but it will become a part of your character. It will be the muscle memory of your values, of how you act. The first benefit to diligence in the small things is that it builds discipline. The second one is that it builds foundation. There's a story about the bamboo tree. And it's, usually it's like this little Chinese farmer, and he takes the seed, and he puts the seed in the ground, and he covers it up, and he goes out, and he waters this spot on the ground. He can't see the seed. It's just dirt now. And he waters that spot every day for a year, and there is no sprout. There is nothing green. And he waters it for a second year and a third year and a fourth year. And by now, his wife just thinks he's crazy. He's watering dirt for no reason. And then a fifth year. And then suddenly, in the sixth year, a sprout will come up, and it will grow 80 feet in six weeks. (laughs) Growing up. Why? Because for five years, this thing that's going to explode has been building the kind of massive root system that it needs to support that kind of weight, that kind of growth. If you're willing to be faithful in the small things, God's going to build the discipline and the foundation that you need that when he's ready to take you someplace, when you're ready to take on something bigger than yourself, or you have this really difficult project, you will have the foundation. You'll have the discipline that you're going to need in it. Number three is that faithfulness in the small things builds your strength. You guys know that I like the Vikings. They were a cool, cool, terrible people. I focus on the cool side. They were a people that whenever their feet hit the shore, they were unstoppable. They had more physical prowess than every people that they came up on. They could raid. They could do whatever they wanted because no one could stop them when their feet hit the shore. They were actually so strong that instead of leaving their ship offshore and taking a little tiny boat in, they would just grab their ship and drag it up on the beach. Here they are with the with their ocean-crossing ships, and they just drag them up on the beach so they can get away faster. They would have more power than anyone else when they swung their axes. You know why? Because every other seafaring people had slaves working the oars. But Vikings pulled their own oars. Day in and day out, crossing oceans, traversing rivers, going against currents, They were pulling their own oars so that by the time their feet were on the shore, they were built, like built, Arnold Schwarzenegger guys. Yeah. 80s, okay. 
I'm not going to quote him. That would be terrible. I would do a terrible impression. The third benefit to being diligent in small, hard things is that it builds strength. Sometimes it's strength here. Sometimes it is strength here. Sometimes it's strength in your disciplines of your values. You know what? It takes a lot of strength to be sexually pure. It takes a lot of, of intentional, purposeful self-control to look away every time there's an opportunity. That is a strength that God has to build in us, and it comes from diligence every day in the small things. So it builds discipline, it builds foundation, and it builds strength. But you know what? It builds strength from more than just me as an individual. You're building strength builds it for our team, for our church. Those Vikings rowed together for more than just an individual. They were rowing for their whole people, for the whole ship to benefit. As a believer, diligence means much more than your personal success. Yeah, diligence is going to be noticed by your, by your bosses, by your parents, by your coworkers. But it's so much more important than that. Look what Jesus says about diligence and what we should use it for. Matthew 24, 44 through 51. Jesus says, be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant, reminds me of Joseph, whom his master has set over his household to give them the food at the proper time? So who's the servant that's going to be responsible for taking care of all the rest of the servants? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find him doing so when he comes, who's consistent, who's still at work, who's still serving the house. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all of his possessions, just like Joseph. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed, he's not going to be back for a long time. And he begins to beat his servants and eats and drinks with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour he does not know, and he will cut him to pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, yep, weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, following Jesus, there's a high standard. God isn't just looking for diligence in your homework. Absolutely, do that. He's looking for diligence in being the body of Christ, in serving God and serving people. He's looking for diligence in your spiritual disciplines because there's a world out there that needs powerful, foundation, solid, disciplined Christians. There are way too many weak Christians floating around. There are way too many weak preachers that are given some sort of watered-down scripture. It's just disgusting. And you know what? Weak Christians are creating a weak world right now. There's junk out there that is all over the place in heresy because weak Christians let it happen. I think this year we're going to do a series on the quote-unquote progressive church. And I hope it blows you away to realize that someone could have the same Bible that we do and run so far from it to miss it so easily, and it's because people are not building strength or foundation or discipline. Guys, there's a world out there that needs you to be more than you are today. Consider some of the things that Jesus needs us to be consistent in. In the monotony of life, he is asking us, Proverbs 25, 26, like a muddied spring or a polluted fountain. Think about that. Imagine drinking out of water that's full of mud is a righteous man who gives way before the wicked. Jesus needs us in the monotony, in the daily tedious tasks, to not just bend to what everybody else is doing. Matthew 5.44, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus needs us in the normalcy of life 
to love the unlovable people. That's going to take self-control. That's going to take discipline. That's going to take foundation. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, we already read this verse, but look what it's calling us to do. Look at the small things it's calling us to be faithful in. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility. That's hard to do daily in and out. With gentleness, patience, love, and unity. These are the the small things that he's asking us to be diligent in. Can you please keep being gentle even when people are mean? Can you still be loving towards your enemies? Are you willing to be patient in whatever situation you're in? Galatians 6.9, let us not grow weary. Let's not get tired of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Don't stop. Don't get weary in the small things. So elevate. You personally, think about it for yourself. What is your menial task right now? Is it making an effort to be kind to a sibling? What is it? What is it that is just a day-in, day-out grind? Every week this thing comes around over and over again. What if it was something like that? Just being kind to a sibling. Consider what this would accomplish. It shapes a relationship with them, but it also trains you how to treat difficult people. Maybe whenever your future spouse is being challenging or coworkers or roommates, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Because if you can't, if you can't find a way to be kind to someone that you love in your family, how are you going to be disciplined to love someone who's difficult? The small things. Here's just an example that I got from Miko. Thank you, Miko. Miko threw out the challenge at camp to read the Bible for 10 minutes a day, 10 minutes a day. Right now, they're saying that you touch your phone about 1,500 times a day. So if you're on your phone for just a couple seconds every time, you're spending way more than 10 minutes on your phone. You can find 10 minutes of Scripture time a day. Get this. For one year, at 10 minutes a day, you will have spent 61 hours in Scripture. What could God do? What could he teach you? How could he mold you for the world around you with 61 hours of training? If you were to do this for your whole life, from 15 years old to 90 years old, you would spend 4,562 hours in God's Word. That's 190 24-hour days. What could God do in the world around you if you were equipped with 190 days of God-breathed Scripture in you? That's 10 minutes a day. That is diligence in something small. What if... You spent 10 minutes a day intentionally serving somebody else. What if you talked about Jesus for 10 minutes a day? What if you expressed gratefulness? Spent 10 minutes just being grateful to people, thanking God for your blessings. What if you prayed for an unsaved friend for just 10 minutes a day? What kind of kingdom rewards would you see in your life? Imagine what God could do with that. What if you just spent 10 minutes a day texting people saying thank you for who they are in your life? What if on a different week you spent 10 minutes in conversation just going, man, I learned the coolest thing about the Lord in Scripture today. It blew my mind. And I just have a few minutes of your time to tell you how awesome it was. What could God do? 10 minutes a day. Here's the verse from a couple weeks ago that is so true for tonight. Colossians 3, 23 through 24. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. As for the Lord and not for men, 
knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving, not your boss, not your mom, not your teacher. You are serving the Lord Christ. Recap. Life will always be packed with repetitive and or dull tasks. It's going to happen. Just accept it. Diligence will begin with a choice. You must choose self-control. You must choose a positive attitude. You must choose excellence and selflessness. Making this choice is going to build your strength, your discipline, and your foundation. Diligence in following Jesus separates casual Christians from real Jesus followers. I want to read that one more time. Diligence in following Jesus will separate casual Christians, weak, unfounded, undisciplined Christians from those true believers. Elevate, challenge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Look at the ant, consider his ways, and be wise. So here's your two challenges. Challenge number one, what's something that you have to do all the time? but usually don't enjoy doing it. What is it? Just think about it. I'm going to give you a second. What is something you have to do all the time, but usually don't enjoy doing it? Apparently, peeled potatoes is on the roster. I didn't realize that anyone else had to do that. Dishmans are awesome. So my challenge this week is to choose a good attitude in doing it this time around. Whatever that thing is that you're thinking in your mind, choose a good attitude. I love homework. Yeah. Awesome. This is my favorite subject. Man, what a great teacher. Fake it till you make it. And I'm not, and I'm I'm pretending, I'm trying to be silly and be sarcastic about it, but I want you to genuinely choose a good attitude about it and see how it goes. Challenge number two, add a 10-minute discipline to your day that glorifies God. It could be one of the things that I threw out. It could be something totally different. What is a 10-minute discipline that you can apply in your life every day that glorifies Jesus Christ? Martin Luther said, Martin Luther King, if it falls to your lot to be a street sweeper, that's your day. Every day you got to sweep the street. Sweep streets like Michelangelo painted pictures. Sweep streets like Beethoven composed music. Sweep streets like Shakespeare wrote poetry. Sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will have to pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well. What if we lived as a Christian the way he's challenging us to sweep streets? That's hard to say that many times, by the way. What if we lived with diligence at that level of excellence? Thank you, Jesus, for men and women of God that are not settled in being tomorrow who they are today. Thank you, Lord, that this room is packed with leaders, with world changers and history makers. Thank you, Lord, that this room is packed with missionaries and evangelists into places that I could never go, that I could never reach. Lord, that they're going to touch the lives of people that I will never speak to, with gifts that I will never hold. Thank you, Lord, that when they leave these doors, you are doing something in them. Lord, I pray that you will discipline them and that through your help and the power of the Holy Spirit, they will take on a 10 minute challenge every single day to glorify you. Let them be more grateful than they ever have been. Empower them to choose great attitudes and tedious tasks 
Lord, I pray that you are empowering Elevate to break the ceiling of what they thought excellence was. But Lord, I pray that you will change their focus from being selfish and self-centered to being kingdom-minded, to where they're more concerned with what you're doing in the church than just what they can gain. Lord, I pray that there are theologically solid Christians in this room, that no one, Lord, over the next couple of years is going to slack and pursuing you and delighting in you and hungering for who you are. Lord, because our view of you will define the rest of our lives. So Lord, I pray that you are building foundationed, disciplined, strong Jesus followers. Lord, that they will be disciples who are disciple makers. In your name we pray these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Episodes are recorded every Wednesday at Elevate Student Ministry. All students, 7th through 12th grades, are welcome.